Hey, everybody, it's Matt. The inspiring stories of personal growth, business success, economic development, and transformational projects that we bring you on Growing Greater are made possible thanks to the active support we receive from the team at PNC Bank. The professionals of PNC offer a wide range of banking, investment, and financial services for individuals and small businesses, middle market companies, and large multinational corporations, nonprofits, and government entities too. PNC provides the knowledge, the guidance, and the resources for financial success. You can learn more about all that PNC has to offer by visiting pnc.com and join me in thanking PNC for their support of our Growing Greater podcast. This is Growing Greater, Growing Greater, bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11 county community of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabry. Music gives a soul to the universe, wings to the mind, flight to the imagination, and life to everything. That quote from renowned philosopher Plato captures perfectly the role that music plays in our lives, unifying communities, stirring creativity, and solidifying shared emotions among seemingly diverse audiences. One of the ensembles that has been mesmerizing audiences for more than 120 years through exquisite performances is the Philadelphia Orchestra. That's who we heard at the top of this episode, performing Beethoven Now, Symphonies 5 and 6. It's one of the most unique concerts that these musicians, known to many the world over as the famous Philadelphians, have ever performed. You see, it was performed on the evening of Thursday, March 12, 2020, just as the COVID-19 pandemic was unfolding in the Philadelphia region. The glorious regional performing arts venue known as the Kimmel Center along Philadelphia's Avenue of the Arts, it was totally empty, but for the musicians, the conductor, and a sparse crew required to live stream the concert to audiences across greater Philadelphia and the world. That March 12th concert was the first of many virtual events and performances hosted by the Philadelphia Orchestra during the pandemic. It's all part of the innovation, the commitment, and the resiliency that define the women and men of the Philadelphia Orchestra as they remain steadfast in their mission to inspire others through music. This week on Growing Greater, we're joined by Matthias Tarnopolsky, who for nearly two years now has led the Philadelphia Orchestra Association as its president and CEO. We learn about his personal and professional journey. Here, Matthias shares with us how he describes the Philadelphia Orchestra. We change the world for the better through the joy of music. We're about communication, we're about connection, but ultimately, the Philadelphia Orchestra is there to share the joy and passion and transformative power of music, and it helps change the world. 
It is truly an iconic institution for sure. And I want to weave back something you had referenced a little bit earlier in our conversation. And that is as a young man in the BBC promenade, listening to the Philadelphia Orchestra, as I hear that and appreciate that and try to visualize a young Mateus Tarnopolsky listening to the Philadelphia Orchestra in a concert hall in London, that's what I refer to as a milestone moment in your life. And you may not even recognize it at the time. And, and I suspect now you do, because that first exposure, I suspect, influenced you to grow in a certain way, both personally and professionally. Do you ever reflect on that? All the time, you know, to think that as a kid, I heard the Philadelphia Orchestra at a concert in London. And here I am heading the organization is an incredible thing to think about. And it's a monumental privilege for me as well. But the way that things are connected and intertwined in our lives is amazing. You know, one of those early influences was a kid I was at school with, brilliant, brilliant musician. And we were close at school and, and in our early 20s. And, you know, life has just, you know, we've gone in different directions, but still feel a, a connection. And his name is Thomas Addis, who's become one of the most important composers of, of our day, you know, with operas at the Metropolitan Opera, for example, and things like that. And, you know, and I remember Tom as a teenager with writing his very first pieces of music and going to concerts together at the proms. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate the conversations that I was able to have with him because he was such an insightful, still is, such an insightful musical figure. So, you know, that's somebody from decades ago with whom I was at many of these concerts, for example. Many of the friends from teenage years who played musical instruments, you know, they'll know who they are, but, you know, Philip and Natalie and Rose and many others as well who are just beloved figures to this day in my life with whom... We shared these intense musical moments. And I guess what we're talking about here is connection. You know, music enables a level of connection that I don't think any other art form does. You know, the nonverbal communication, the sound, the impact, everything. I mean, it's so powerful and it just makes amazing bonds between people. It's captivating. For sure. And I really love the connections that you've maintained throughout your personal and professional career with friends and colleagues like Thomas and Philip and Natalie and Rose. And to think back on the successes that you've each had in your respective rights over those years. And I'd love to hear a little bit more, Mateus, about your journey, because you've had some really significant successes that have culminated now in your role leading the Philadelphia Orchestra. Take us back, if you could, to Chicago, to New York, to California, and how you navigated those different opportunities to ultimately secure this opportunity that you have today to really not only lead the Philadelphia Orchestra, but to be part of that leadership team that is transforming how the Philadelphia Orchestra will continue in the future. But if you could take us through those journeys, I guess the best way to say this is how did you land or transition, I guess I should say, from, you know, London working as a producer, the BBC Symphony Orchestra and the BBC Singers to Chicago and then to New York and then to California. 
what I think about every day in my professional life is, you know, how much am I contributing? How much am I learning? Right. And, you know, when you're new in a job, you're probably learning more than you're contributing. And then once you've been there for a while, you want those two things to be always in balance. I had the most sensational opportunities early in my career to learn with some of the very, very best people. My first job, I mean, I've been working since I was 16 years old in a music shop when I was at music college or a furniture store before that and things like that. But my first full-time job out of college was for the BBC as a program note editor and occasional writer for the BBC Proms, you know, that iconic music festival I was telling you about earlier. And that was a dream come true. And in that job, there was a great editor who worked there then called George Hall, who really taught me to read and write and organize my professional life, right? And that was so very, very important. And I, I worked there for a couple of years. And I was about to say the best thing about it was, but there were so many best things about it, the work itself, the people. And here's the little secret, right? I got to go to the concerts of the proms for free. Right. And, you know, that remains the secret of everyone who works in jobs like mine is that we get to hear great musical performances for free because it's part of our everyday work. But don't tell anyone that. But then I remember I, again, with the support of so many people, you've got this job as a trainee producer at BBC Radio 3. Radio 3 is the classical music station BBC and had been very much the soundtrack of my upbringing. And here I was you know, making radio programs, which was just, again, a dream come true. But I got to learn from really the top producers at the BBC and sound engineers who taught me to appreciate music in yet another way, to listen to music in a different way, to read scores, to communicate with groups of musicians, small and large. I mean, when you're producing recordings, it's about, you know, you're in a way the conscience of the audience, but behind the glass. And so you have to be able to communicate to the performers that there's a live situation. And the recording engineers at the BBC then, many of whom had been there decades and who'd literally built the equipment that we were recording on or helped program the software that was being used to edit was an incredible training in music, in communication, in just sort of being an adult in the workplace. And it was so important to me that. So how do you go from being a producer of the BBC Symphony Orchestra? So I went from being a trainee producer to being a producer of the BBC Symphony Orchestra, another extraordinary group of people, fantastic orchestra, concerts, day after day, music, especially new music, which remains a real passion of mine, working with composers and performers on a daily basis on really exciting, innovative projects, both public performances, radio broadcasts, TV broadcasts. I mean, it was, you know, for somebody in their mid-20s, it was just a dream come true. But I also knew there was more. And at this stage, you know, sort of biography and profession, they come together. Uh, by this stage, my parents and my brother, my brother was six years younger, had moved to Toronto, Canada. So we're now in the mid to late 90s. Uh, in the early 90s, my parents and brother had moved to Toronto, Canada for professional reasons and, you know, have since built a, just a fantastic life in Canada. And so I was in the UK and, you know, had a wonderful network of friends and everything. But I realized that there was a sort of center of gravity shifting in my life. And I also knew there was a lot more to learn in the world of the symphony orchestra. And I knew the London orchestras really, really well. I'd been going to rehearsals and concerts for years. But I also knew that there was a different way of doing things that I wanted to learn about. And 
The other important thing that happened was that I started seeing a girl who was from America, right? And she was working then for ABC News and I was working for the BBC and we were roommates, but we ended up being romantically involved. And that was in 1996. You should know that we've since married and have two close to 15-year-old twins. So her name's Birgit. And she, you know, had moved from America maybe for a couple of years. She didn't know, right? And so it really got me thinking both personally and professionally about, you know, where where is the next step? I really couldn't imagine life elsewhere than London, but I knew having heard the great American orchestras, you know, Chicago, Philadelphia, New York, for example, and there are many, many more. Having heard them in London over the years, I knew that there was something electrifying about the way music is made in America, and I wanted, I wanted to learn more. I had a great mentor in Clive Gillinson, who was then the chief executive of the London Symphony Orchestra. So I met Clive in my mid-20s. He is now the executive and artistic director of Carnegie Hall. So he has been here for several years, in the U.S. for several years. But this was, again, the early 90s. Clive was a great mentor. And I remember clearly a conversation with him. He'd spend a lot of time. We'd meet, I think, once a month on Friday afternoons. We'd spend like two hours going back first principles about, you know, our role as arts administrators being to really create the conditions for artists to be able to make music as powerfully, transformatively, and beautifully as possible. That's great. It was your love of Birgit, an American, and also your love and passion for music and classical music specifically that served as a catalyst together to bring you to the U.S. And it sounds like that was a great opportunity to your point. There's so many great orchestral organizations in Chicago, in Cincinnati, in New York, in California, in Philadelphia, that you have lots of options to think about what's next. And and I want to fast forward here to the Philadelphia Orchestra because it truly is an iconic institution, not only in Philadelphia, but internationally, as you experienced firsthand as a young man listening to the Philadelphia Orchestra in London. And I'd love for you to talk with us about how you and the Philadelphia Orchestra team embraces and manages this status and this stellar reputation of the Philadelphia Orchestra and what that means to you as the president yeah. and CEO of the Philadelphia Orchestra. If I may, let me just add the last bit to the story I was telling that Clyde suggested that I spend a week with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. And so I went and I spent a week there and those conversations began and ended up with a job offer. And then we moved to the United States in 1999. And that was a life-changing moment. And I'm forever grateful to friends and colleagues in Chicago for the faith they showed in me then. And it's more than 20 years now. Can I just interrupt for a moment and share with you, yeah. Mateus? I'm so glad you shared that part of the story because it's those little moments of, hey, why don't you think about doing a one-week internship in Chicago or apprenticeship and where that led. And those doors that opened for you were transformative, clearly, and set off a whole chain reaction of new opportunities. So thanks for sharing that. That was a really great insight. Of course. And it's all about doors, by the way. I'll always thank my dad when I was, I don't know, 11, 12 years old. He said... You know, in the context of me going to visit a friend in Spain and I wasn't sure I wanted to go, he said, look, life is a series of doors. It's really important to choose the doors, open them and walk through them. And um, you picked up that metaphor exactly. So here I am, you know, 20 years after moving to the United States with just having worked at the most amazing or musical organizations, the Chicago Symphony, the New York Philharmonic, Cal Performances, the University of California, Berkeley, that opened all kinds of other doors as well into dance and theater. And then here I am at 
the Philadelphia Orchestra, one of the greatest cultural institutions in the world. And it is both an awesome responsibility and a joy every single day. Listening to this orchestra make music is just a transformational experience. Every day when we were playing, you know, we're in the middle of this COVID crisis now, so I don't get to hear them. But, you know, I'd go and listen to rehearsals and, of course, concerts every week. And, you know, time is suspended. There is a beauty to the sound, to the emotion that's communicated, to the passion and intensity and generosity of the playing, to the interaction with our sensational music director, Yannick Nezeseguin, who's also my close colleague and partner in running the organization. There's nothing like it, and it is a source of just immense inspiration every day. It's what's keeping me going in this moment in particular. I can imagine. We are living in a very unusual times for sure, and uh, we can touch on that in a moment as well. Yeah. You had mentioned Yannick, and clearly, if you're comfortable with this, I'm going to position you are clearly a leader of the Philadelphia Orchestra. And Yannick is also a leader of the Philadelphia Orchestra. The foundation includes the musicians. They're some of the best in the world. And I was hoping you could share with us a little bit more the role that the musicians of the Philadelphia Orchestra play in defining and shaping the organization, not only today, but even its history and where it's evolved to and where it's going next. The Philadelphia Orchestra was founded in 1900. Organizations that have been around that long, especially musical organizations, have a DNA in them. There, you know, the stories and traditions are passed down generation to generation. And so it's a living, breathing history. But of course, what's the most important thing? Tomorrow is the most important thing. The future is the most important thing. And we have a way of thinking about things that the Philadelphia Orchestra is the Philadelphia way. And it's built on our values of excellence, exceptionalism, of being authentic, of being inclusive and diverse of being a convener, these kinds of things. And those values permeate the whole organization and that sort of Philadelphia way of doing things permeates the whole organization. And Yannick and I are the leaders of the organization, but of course the musicians are the organization and a vital source of both inspiration and ideas and connection with the community. So we are working daily with the musicians of the orchestra, with the board of directors and with the staff to shape the future. And these are vibrant and exciting conversations. And especially at this time of intense crisis, the power of this working together has been, I'll use the word again, nothing short of transformative. We keep saying we're in this together, we have a plan and the level of not just communication, but sincere and authentic and compassionate communication has been unlike anything I've experienced in my professional life before and really responds to the moment because we're sitting here saying, not just saying, we hope everything will be okay. We're sitting here saying, we need to define the future, not just for the Philadelphia Orchestra, but for Philadelphia we need to play that role, not just hope for things to be okay, but make sure things are okay. So the decisions that we take now are really important for creating that more empathetic, 
kinder, vibrant future where not just the orchestra, but the entire community can thrive. Hi, I'm violinist Juliet Kang. And I'm cellist Tom Cranus. I'm pianist Natalie Shu. I'm violist Hong Chen. I hope you're all healthy and staying safe in these crazy times. We musicians all miss our audiences, as well as playing music with each other. But we wanted to try to keep the music going while we're all doing our part to combat the spread of COVID-19 with social distancing. So, we found a way to play a great piano quartet together, not all four of us at a time, but two by two. Here's the last movement of Mozart's G minor piano quartet. Thanks for listening, and please continue to take good care of yourselves. We cannot wait to see you in real life. Like many of us operating in the unprecedented times of a global pandemic, the incredibly talented musicians of the Philadelphia Orchestra are also working from home. This performance of the last movement from Mozart's Piano Quartet in G minor, it was presented with the musicians performing from their homes. Though the venue has shifted from the traditional concert hall, the power of the music continues to move the soul. It's exciting and encouraging to see and hear the resiliency of these artists adapting to the moment, bringing the beauty of their music to audiences around the corner and around the world. And speaking of resiliency and innovation, let's pause for a moment from our conversation with Matthias to thank the team at Temple University. Temple's roots in Greater Philadelphia are strong and deep, dating back to its founding in 1888 as an institution of higher learning dedicated to serving working people in the city's neighborhoods. Since that time, the faculty and staff of Temple University have stayed true to the university's mission and remains a beacon of public service, social activism, and community engagement. Embracing its official motto, Perseverance Conquers, With a dedication to quality in academics, research, athletics, the arts, and so much more, Temple is today one of the country's leading institutions with a national and an international reach and a reputation for excellence. Learn more at temple.edu and join me in thanking Temple University for believing in us at Select Greater Philadelphia and their support of our Growing Greater podcast. Now let's get back to our conversation with Matthias Tarnopolsky of the Philadelphia Orchestra Association. I was hoping, Matthias, that you could speak about the Philadelphia Orchestra on several different levels and how you as a leader balance all of these various levers, if you will, that we pull at different times, depending on what's needed. It's certainly an iconic arts organization. It's also a charitable organization, frankly, and many people may not necessarily appreciate that nuance. It's also a business. It's a civic partner. It's an economic driver of the regional economy. It convenes the community from across greater Philadelphia, but frankly, also from around the world. And one of the things that many people may not necessarily appreciate is the Philadelphia Orchestra is one of the best ambassadors of Philadelphia to a global audience. How do you balance all of those things throughout your kind of overall insight and management of the organization? 
it's both everything all at once and you have to give certain things particular focus all the time. I mean, the first focus has to be on maintaining the integrity of the ensemble and the business. And by that, I mean, we've got to make sure that we are artistically always in a globally preeminent shape, right? Making sure we can recruit the best musicians and conductors and soloists to work with the conditions for rehearsal and performances are such that Yannick and the musicians can make their best music. We've got to make sure that organizationally that we have a really sound business. And, you know, our two main sources of revenue are philanthropy and ticket sales and philanthropy is larger than uh, concert revenues you know concert revenues are, you know hover at around 40% 35% depending on the year and most of the rest is uh, philanthropy so we rely on a great and compelling vision beautiful concerts extraordinary musicians in the orchestra to continually tell this story of the power of music to bring joy and to transform. And that vision really drives the incredible philanthropy that we enjoy from our really beloved supporters in Philadelphia, but also around the world. And and you said that we are a global brand. We are. The orchestra has a global footprint right now through the virtual Philadelphia Orchestra. We're reaching audiences on a daily basis throughout the world. You know, we've had engagement from Bogota, Colombia, from, you know, Tasmania, Australia for our concerts that we broadcast on Virtual Philadelphia Orchestra. We were the first US orchestra to visit China in 1973, right? So we predate the establishment of official diplomatic relations in in China. There are many media firsts for the Philadelphia Orchestra. We have been at the vanguard of innovation. In fact, one of the values of the Philadelphia Way that I talked about is innovation. Anyway, so we are balancing all these interests all the time. The most important thing is that we are always telling compelling, passionate story through everything we do. So, Matthias, let's talk a little bit about impact. You know, has there been a moment that kind of surprised you or that folks may not necessarily appreciate when it comes to how the Philadelphia Orchestra or just the arts in general may have impacted a community in a way that may be unexpected? Let me count the ways. I mean, there are so many. You know, there's two sides to this. There's the one-to-one ways and there's the sort of large audience ways. I am inspired every day by the commitment of the musicians of the orchestra to the next generation through the Philadelphia Orchestra's education and community programs, right? We call them here, Health Education Access Research. And watching a hall full of school kids listen to the Philadelphia Orchestra and being transfixed by the magic and impact of hearing a piece by Beethoven for the first time or a piece by a living composer for the first time. That moment in the hall when you can hear and feel and see lives being changed before you, there's nothing like that. When you bottle that up and you take it with you like we do overseas when we tour overseas or around the country and you see that magic replicated time and again, then you realize that when you say the transformative power of music, it is a very real and humanity changing thing. That's perfect. And one, I want to bring it back to Philadelphia as a place to live and grow 
aside from or in addition to your work leading the Philadelphia Orchestra, and you do have very unique life experiences. You know, not sure how your recollection of Argentina is. I suspect you've been back to visit over the years, but from Argentina to London to Chicago and New York and California, now Philadelphia. How does that fit into your plans for personal and professional growth? And are are there elements of Philadelphia that you've uncovered that you weren't necessarily expecting? Argentina, I I was there from uh, the year I was born, 1970 to 1972. So my parents and I moved when I was two. But it remains a vitally important part of my life. And my first language is Spanish. You know, when I speak to my immediate family, it's in Spanish. And in fact, I'm doing a pre-concert talk tomorrow with colleagues in the orchestra in Spanish. So that remains a really important strand. Um, Philadelphia, you know, it's funny. We talk about your Philadelphia Orchestra. You know, Yannick got up on the stage of opening night 2018 and said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, this is your Philadelphia Orchestra. And that really launched this sort of campaign of, you know, celebrating the deep civic connection between the orchestra and Philadelphia. I mean, Philadelphia and the Philadelphia Orchestra are one and the same. And the city of Philadelphia is just a gift that keeps on giving. I am inspired every day by being able to walk in a city that just feels right. I mean, it just feels right. There is arts and culture that is on every corner, both the big institutions and the small institutions. But this idea of living history, you know, we celebrate history, but we're always looking forward. I feel, I mean, just profoundly at home here. And I can't even explain why. I think it's a lot to do with walking the streets. It's a lot to do with the way the orchestra plays music. It's a lot to do with the extraordinary welcome my family and I received when we moved here. It's a magnificent city. Folks, that's Matthias Tarnopolsky, and I love the correlation, Matthias, that you're making between how you feel when you're with the orchestra and how you feel when you walk the streets of Philadelphia and that welcoming that you received when you and your family arrived here. That's really special, and I appreciate being born and raised in Philadelphia and living and growing my career in greater Philadelphia, the importance of that nuance. So thank you for sharing that. I want to touch on briefly something you had mentioned a moment ago, and that is being innovative. And we are living in this unique time of COVID-19 and the orchestra has been innovative and has been hosting performances virtually. How has that been going for you and the team? Amazingly well. On March 12th, when the word came that we would not be able to perform in front of an audience at Verizon Hall, we decided to go ahead with the concert anyway, but without an audience. We broadcasted on Facebook Live, and since then that concert's been viewed over a million times. The moment of magic when the orchestra played the first notes to the empty house, and then at the end bowed to the empty house, is something that will remain seared in my heart forever. It was so powerful and so moving. And it was the moment that we turned from being a classical music, education, producing, presenting organization to a media organization. And that pivot happened instantaneously. And that's credit to an incredible team of people on the staff, in the orchestra, on the board of directors who we all agreed we need to do this. It would not have been possible without that strand of DNA that's in the Philadelphia way of innovation. We pivoted on March 12th and since then have been producing and distributing concert content 
via the virtual Philadelphia orchestra platform. Original content that musicians film in their own rooms, innovative content creating new art with visual and technology artists. We're asking composers to write works specifically for this moment. So this idea of innovation and access is present in everything we are thinking about. And you can see it come alive on our social media streams and on the virtual Philadelphia Orchestra. You know, we've just commissioned a new work, a visual work with this uh, arts organization in, in the UK that we're going to premiere later in a few weeks' time and uh, commissioned the composer Valerie Coleman, who's very much part of the orchestra's family, to create a piece of music for the orchestra that we're going to premiere in early June in, a, in an at-home gala a piece really for the COVID era. That's incredible. I love that innovative approach. And I would suggest as well that not only can you see it, we can hear it and we can ultimately feel it because that's the outcome of a lot of the hard work that goes into performing a piece of classical music or a recently composed piece of music. And my wrap-up question for you, Matthias, is, is there something about the Philadelphia Orchestra that you want the average person to know? Because I, I asked this question in the spirit of, you come at this through a different lens. Classical music, being exposed to the arts and arts management is very specific to the experiences that you've had in your life, even as a young person. But not everybody has had the benefit of that and shares that kind of sense of appreciation. I guess the best way to say it, what do you want folks to know about the Philadelphia Orchestra? We're there for you. The music is absolutely beautiful. Come join us. I love that. And my last question for you, in the spirit of our program, Matthias, Growing Greater, you have a young person who comes to you. It could be one of your children. It could be an aspiring musician, or it could be somebody who's a little bit lost and they're not quite sure what they want to do with their life personally and professionally. What kind of advice do you share with a young person who's interested in the arts or thinks they're interested in classical music? Is there a kind of approach that you encourage them to, to consider as they navigate their next steps? There is never a one-size-fits-all, but if you're passionate about music then immerse yourself in it and the paths will begin to emerge the key thing about jobs in arts administration and especially in music administration is a real understanding and love for music and everything really comes back to the music i mean everything every decision that that we make sort of has a musical root somehow you know if you think about what music teaches you when to lead when to follow the importance of your own work and its connection to the work of the group the contrast between listening and hearing, all these vital lessons for life, right? How to understand criticism and deliver criticism compassionately and things like that. The importance of dialogue, etc. I mean, there are thousands of sort of lessons for life that are taught when you sing in a choir with someone, right? So what advice do I give is, you know, really immerse yourself in, in a musical life, going to concerts, playing an instrument, but then think, how can I be a musical entrepreneur? right? How can I bring people with me? What is it that I want to communicate? What do I need to learn? And uh, be very, very aware of, of the opportunities to learn. And then if you can find good people to help you, you know, I mean, there's so many people that helped me along the way and listened and coached and things like that to this day. But it does come back to the fundament of really immerse yourself in the world because, you know, careers in the arts, are the most wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, to have bright young people more and more coming into the arts is just uh, a very encouraging and enriching thing. And I'm seeing a great new generation emerging that I find profoundly encouraging. 
Whether you're discovering the Philadelphia Orchestra for the first time or have been a lifelong lover of the music performed by the famous Philadelphians, we at Growing Greater encourage you to engage in some way with all that the Philadelphia Orchestra has to offer. You can learn about their educational programs, their community initiatives, attend a concert virtually, and when the time is right, in person too. Visit philorc.org. That's P-H-I-L. O-R-C-H dot org to learn more. We extend a special acknowledgement and appreciation to the Philadelphia Orchestra Association for the use of the audio from their performances that we heard in this podcast. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review our podcast and share it with friends and colleagues and family and through social media. Tune in to other episodes of Growing Greater wherever you listen to your podcasts or at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania, and helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses and new jobs to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Carmazin and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our chamber. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in anytime and anywhere you get your podcasts or online at selectgreaterphl.com slash podcast.